This is uh, the word of the Lord, Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning holes on his head. On his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Church, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see, to illuminate the path that you have called us to walk in as your children, as ones who are the recipients of your love, those who have been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, today we do pray for those who are here that have not yet responded to that call. We pray that they would see something not just in your church, but in your word about who you are, in your character, your comfort, and your care for us as your creation. That would bring, breathe life where there is a dead, cold heart. We're talking about love this morning. And there are so many various ways that this can be and is expressed and yet is a subject that is so often misunderstood. And so today, we ask that your word would inform our understanding of love more than the world around us, more than our own experiences in our homes, whether through our upbringing or our current experiences that we would understand love because it was shown to us through Jesus Christ on the cross. We pray that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, my family is on their way back from vacation over this last couple of weeks. We have been away, and uh, we've had a wonderful time together. But one of the things that I try to do each vacation, each year with vacation, is I try to take each one of our children out uh, just me and them, so Ella, Alec, Caleb, my three children. Uh, I try to just go and get very intentional time with them and, <clears throat> and really express love. Now, I, I am going to get to today's passage. It's going to be a little bit more lengthy setup than typical. But I, I, I just want to kind of tell you that out front because I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding on the subject of love that we need to just kind of sort through as a church. Uh, and realize that there is something that God is calling us to. Uh, there's a head coach in the NBA that's in the news quite a bit right now. His name's Monty Williams. He's the coach of the Phoenix Suns, uh, who tonight will most likely go up 3-0 against the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, it's sad to see. Uh, Giannis, you'll get there someday, pal. But um, Monty's 
Monty was referenced a few years ago when he was an assistant coach for Golden State Warriors. And, and it was interesting. You don't normally hear about assistant coaches, do you, when, when a game is going on. It's pretty rare. But the reason he was being referenced was because he wasn't on the sideline that night. His wife had been killed in a tragic car accident with a driver who was under the influence. Wife and three children were in the car. My understanding is that the three children survived. His wife passed. And now he, here he is at the pinnacle of success in the NBA. And he's talking through things with his players. And he's saying things like, I'm, when I'm together with you, I'm, I'm not calling you out. I'm calling you up to something. It's just a wonderful turn of phrase, right? I'm not calling you out for what you're not doing. I'm calling you up to something because I see this in you. And Paul kind of is doing that in this passage. But Monty in his testimony at Faith talks about uh, this idea of being able to forgive the man that killed his wife and the way that he has expressed love to this individual. It's, it's mind-boggling to consider. It's sobering to think about. Like, have you ever had that thought of what would I do in that moment? Um, so, so those are some things that are that kind of inform this time with my children on vacation. That I don't, I don't want love to be unexpressed to my children. So my, my boys, uh, Caleb is 20, Alec is 17. So my boys, they kind of know the drill. We're going to go do something fun together. We're going to sit down together. And then it's going to kind of be just time with dad. And there's a, there's a typical kind of outline of what we go through. Like, hey, how can I pray for you? What, what are you facing right now that that I can help with? What are you facing right now that I'm not actually helping with, that I'm adding to, right? As a dad, I want to be able to hear from my, my kids on things like that. So uh, it, you might be able to tell who got what, but let's see, it involved this year acai bowls, um, axe throwing, and a shooting range. Uh, so it was, it was very expensive, <laughs> our time together this year. But I want to have that kind of time with them. Why? Because I don't want to be a dad that doesn't express love to my children. And, and why do I draw our attention to that? One, it's not because I'm highlighting what a great dad I am, right? That, let's just put that aside if that's in any of our thinking. Uh, I know. I know where there's failings. Thankfully, my children help inform those things when we're together in these times. I, I want to hear from them on where is it that I'm kind of adding to the struggle that you may be facing, but I don't want my love for my children to be unexpressed. I think each one of us in this room probably knows what unexpressed love feels like. We've walked through those moments with the dad that could never bring himself to say it. We've walked through those moments with a mom that was so controlling that even perhaps on her deathbed, we would not take the step to share the gospel with them. Maybe that's your experience. Maybe it's in some other way could be through forms of abuse that that was what was uh, that was what was expressed more than anything having to do with love but there's something tragic about unexpressed love some years ago through the passing of one who was very close with me and my family I learned that the phrase that should go without saying had had kind of crept into my thinking and even worse than that the phrase, that should go without saying, had kind of crept into my actions toward others. So I don't want the love that, that I have for someone to go without saying. Does that make sense? You just realize we're, we're never promised tomorrow to say the things that quote unquote should go without saying. 
And here's the good news that we have in the gospel, because I realize, like, this is a pretty sober intro to uh, the subject of love. Here's the good news of the gospel. God's love for us doesn't go without saying. It's expressed explicitly for us. It's expressed explicitly for us through Jesus Christ, and it's empowered very specifically through us and the power of the Holy Spirit. God's love for us doesn't go without saying. So today, we've been talking a part of our mission to love, grow, and share. For the glory of God, Metro Life Church exists so that we as disciples can help disciple others to love, grow, and share what? The love of God that we have been shown. And how have we been talking about that? Well, we've been talking about that through worship. We were singing that we want to be vessels who are here to receive of the love of God, to be filled with the love of God, to be filled with the gifts and the fruit of His Spirit. That we want to love others by being on mission as we're praying for Colleen, as we're praying for Rachel. That in the context of this local church, we have new members who have come in because they have experienced the love of God expressed through you in community together. That's amazing to think about. The love of God just permeates so much. And so it doesn't go without saying, and yet Paul is saying something to the church in Rome about areas that they should be very specific and very careful to watch their love for one another. And so today our our sermon is titled, Placing Love in Context. Now here's what I want to be clear about. We're not talking about living one way when we're together in the church, living another way when we're out in the world, but God's word equips us very specifically, very strategically for what it looks like to have a loving context of a local church. And to have a loving witness when, it, when we are out in the world. A loving context of the local church and a loving witness when we're out in the world. Why? Because God's love doesn't go without saying it's expressed explicitly through Jesus. It's empowered specifically through the Holy Spirit. Notice that Paul was talking last week about the gifts of the Spirit. And this week he's talking about love. We often see this. We see this kind of pattern about the, the gifts or the fruit of the Spirit, and then there's this subject of love that's in there. And, and this is not to kind of pull any punches when it comes to the idea of love. This is actually to inform how it is that we're to use those gifts, how it is that we are to bear that fruit, how it is that we are to walk in love. Why? Because we have received the love of God through salvation. We have received that divine love. That is a, it's, it's at the very core of his character, his compassion toward us, his care toward us as his creation. The love of God, this divine love, we'll look at that in just a moment. I want to point out first that uh, James Montgomery Boyce, he points this out, he says this, Love is not some mushy emotion that embraces all, forgives all, forgets all, and requires nothing. In fact, you will notice at once that in our text, Paul does not even define love. He passes immediately to know how love functions. And we're going to see in our passage today, there's something like 30 different commands. And in Romans chapter 12, there's 36 commands in in total. And I could just preach through each one of those. 
It's been a while since I had a 30-point sermon. I don't think anybody needs that today. But today, much like Monty Williams, and I think what Paul is doing here, I want to call us up to something, not call us out. This isn't a word of correction for Metro Life Church, but I do want to say let's examine the way that we love. And let's examine where it is that things of the world may have crept into our thinking about love. Where things might be that we say, oh, you know what, I'm standing for truth, I'm holding fast. Yeah, but did you also take care of the part that says, as it is up to you, make sure that you live peaceably with others? Did, Did you put those two together or are you just kind of highlighting one and holding really, really, really fast to that? Why? Because that sets a culture of love in the church. It it sets the culture and it sets the tone for us here in the church. So I want us to see the connection between the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit and the love of God as it's been put into us. And I do want to remind us as well what we've seen up to this point. We've seen at the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12 that there is a foundation of mercy that anything that we talk about is being built upon today. So where this may seem very heavy in terms of commands and imperatives and realize that we're being called up to something, that uh, it may feel like we're being called out, my intention is to call us up to something, that's not being built on our ability to see those things through on our own. That's actually built on a foundation of mercy. It's what we were singing in worship earlier. I will build my life on you alone. It's a sure foundation. That there's a grace that's available to us along with the gift of faith. We saw that in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. That we have this renewed life. That we have a heart level change that counters the spirit of the age. We're going to have to talk about something that is a very prevalent phrase in, quote unquote, the spirit of the age today. We see that in chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And that we have a transformed thinking that aligns our perspective with the kingdom of God. Now, our focus today will be on what Scripture affirms and instructs about love rather than kind of swinging at the air in the way that the world attempts to define love through this kind of constantly morphing definition. It's a constantly morphing definition. So I appreciated Sam Storm's definition. I'm going to link to the Fuller article that addresses what can be so prevalent in the world today. That's this turn of phrase that love is love. Perhaps you've heard it. Perhaps you've seen it on a t-shirt. I think it's a damaging phrase that love is love. Sam Storm says this, love is acting and speaking in such a way that the object of one's affection is most greatly blessed in this life and in the age to come. And he's talking about this brotherly love that we're going to look at Love is acting and speaking in such a way that the object of one's affection is most greatly blessed in this life and in the age to come. So I'm going to be adding some breakdowns, some bullet points. There's three of them today. We're going to talk about the context of the local church. We're going to talk about love's non-negotiables. And we're going to talk about the context of the world. But in reality, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we are called to these things as it relates to love. Because Jesus didn't save us so that we parse out our, our faith to be lived differently here than it is there. That's hypocrisy. And it's actually one of the first points that Paul addresses. Let love be genuine is saying don't be hypocritical in your love. So whether it's in our home, whether it's on our workplace, campus, community groups, Sunday morning, 
uh, we realize that Jesus has saved us, those who have responded in saving faith, he has saved us, our whole being, for everywhere that we are. That we would point to him through the way that we love others. We would point to him as our savior. The one that we have received this divine love from. So you'll, you may notice as we go through the passage today that I won't address every command or imperative. Uh, there's a, like 83% of the commands are in these verses today. They stack on one another, and it seems to me that could be very easily overwhelming. It certainly would be overwhelming to try to preach. But can I encourage us how to listen today? Is it okay to do that? Can we listen today for where the Holy Spirit wants to reveal things to us? Where he wants to speak to our hearts, where there may be an area that needs repentance or change. To use Romans chapter 12 language, renewal or transformation. Can we listen for where the Holy Spirit is kind of highlighting that for us? An area of need for renewal or transformation in the way that we think or act. I would encourage us to go to these scriptures, to go through these scriptures. There are some phrases here that may be interesting like heaping coals on the head of someone. I don't recommend that as a general practice. Right? It seems like it's a phrase that is actually born out of ancient Egypt where someone, when they had done wrong, would actually walk around with like a, a, a plate on their head with coals stacked on it as an act of repentance to, to show how serious they were about their sorrow. And you're just like, yeah, I don't think that's going to fly today. If you saw somebody walking down the street with coals heaped on their head, I think you'd call the law. Please call the law if you see that happening. Right, because it just, it's, it's difficult to understand, and so it's important for us to go and see these phrases and understand what it is that he's saying. There's something about the genuineness of repentance that can be, that can be born out of what? Kindness. Well, where does that align with God's character? We're reminded in Scripture that it's his kindness that leads to repentance. We're called to live the same way. That's a part of where it is that we reveal that Christ-like character that we have been the beneficiaries of. And that scripture is pointing to it at the end of our passage today. So it's important for us to understand rightly and go back and look at these passages. See, we're not perfected yet. As a pastor, I have the opportunity to, to be a part of hearing the stories of all the amazing ways that we're a loving church. And I'm so grateful for that. The testimony of the members that joined this morning is a part of the way that you are a loving church and embracing and welcoming people in, being hospitable as they come in. But we're not perfected yet because I also get to be a part of the conversations where we're reconciling the ways that we've got some growing to do as a church, where we might fall short So let's look most specifically today, not at the way that the world defines love, but how it is that love is shown to us in the church. So let's begin in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. Love expressed in the church. And how is this expressed? Well, this develops a loving culture in the church. Let love be genuine, Paul says. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. 
I think it would be important for us to begin by just making sure that we have the right definition of the type of love that's being talked about here. Let love be genuine. Well, which love is Paul talking about? There are many forms that we see throughout Scripture. We realize in the fruit of the Spirit that that is a love in Galatians 5. That is an agape love. That is a very practical fruit of the Spirit. But what is that? Well, that's a supernatural glory of divine love that has been placed in us for a natural outflowing toward others. It's a divine, it, it, it's got its source as the divine character of God himself. That is agape love. It's born of the work of the Spirit in us. It's born out of the character and care of God. And that's what it is that, that informs us. That's what guides that type of love toward others. To this point in the book of Romans, any time that Paul has referenced love, it has been about this divine love of God. But today, the word that Paul uses here is this philos, this love that is a beloved, a dear, a friendly brother. Now, I've got two boys in my house. I know when brothers can be friendly. I know when they can be frenemies. I know what that looks like. And I know the moment where it looks like that that argument is turning into a fight and that fight is going to get expensive medically and when it is to step in. And what he's talking about here is this brotherly nearness and dearness and affection that holds someone in your heart. That's the type of love that's to be expressed in the church. And I think it's important for us to understand that this is still a part of what he was saying about living sacrifices. So this type of love, this philos, this beloved, dear, friendly, brotherly love is sacrificial. Because Romans chapter 12 verse 1 sets the context when it says that I appeal to you therefore to live your lives as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And where is it that that should be expressed? Well that should be expressed toward those that we're gathering together with in the church. I had the opportunity to do the pastoral interviews for our new members this morning. And they were raving about how much this type of love is what they have experienced here at Metro Life Church. I've been a part of text threads and there are meetings coming up even in the days ahead to talk through just real life things together. Why? Because that's how we love one another. Tonight I have the opportunity to be together with our pastors and deacons as a part of our community group. Why? Because we're going to love one another in community together. So these new members coming in, the, this church, the way that we talk about community groups and how they're just so vital for the life of the church together, these are the contexts that we get to express what? Brotherly love and affection. Now Paul's assumption is that as a part of a renewed heart or our transformed thinking that we will be involved in a local community context of the church. He wants to equip us for what it looks like to be a part of that. So today, we are being called up by being equipped for what it is that God wants to do in us. He's making the assumption that because of our faith, we're going to withstand troubles in the world. And he's saying that the love that we have for one another has to be genuine. Otherwise, it's going to do what? It's going to fall apart at the first sign of trouble. It's going to fall apart at the first sign of trouble. It's going to look like the love of the world that once things get tense, we just ghost one another. We just abandon one another. We just stop communicating with one another. And Paul's assumption here is, yeah, you're going to face those times, but if you have this kind of love toward one another, it's going to be able to withstand that. 
It's going to be something that actually supersedes those moments together. You may even experience something beyond the form of just abandonment, but actual persecution where when they do talk back to you, it's not kindness that comes back. It's persecution. That there's something either relationally or in commerce. That this is not something for us to fear. This is something that we are actually equipped for. Jesus reminds us in John 16, 13 that in this world we will face tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome this world. Why would he want us to know that? Why more than Paul would Jesus want us to know that we're going to face those times? Because at the beginning of John 16, 33, he tells us in him we can find peace. That's good news for our souls today, isn't it? In a troubling world, in a world that, that, that the news just loves to present turmoil, I, I was affected this week hearing the news of the assassina- assassination of Haiti's president. One of the first things that I did was to start to WhatsApp with our friends and brothers and sisters in Haiti. Why? Because there is turmoil that is worldwide news now. And what does that mean for them? More persecution in the way that they try to live out their faith. Take heart, brothers and sisters. In Jesus, you can know peace. And he is the one who has ultimately overcome the world. There's good in that. We can experience the blessing and the benefit of that. As I said earlier, so far in Romans, all the references to love have been the love of God. But now Paul focuses on love as the essence of Christian discipleship. It's why it's a part of our our vision and mission statement as Metro Life Church, that to the glory of God, we love, grow, and share together. It's at the very core of discipleship. Tim Keller says this about verse 9. He says, verse 9 serves as a boundary against any misinterpretation of verses 10 through 12. It's not loving to let the beloved sin against you. To allow or to promote sin is never the best thing for anyone. Also, to cling to what is good means we must not sin against ourselves. In other words, we must not love others in such a way as to disobey God and be poor stewards of our physical and emotional health or of our families but we are to love others at a cost to ourselves. Not to earn someone else's love or God's love, but in view of the love that he has already lavished on us. The Bible makes much of Jesus' sacrificial love for us. He was stripped and killed in order to love us. In view of that, we are to love as he did and to love as he did, live as he did and to love as he did. If the way we love one another comes at a cost to ourselves, we have started to know what Christ-like love is. Perhaps this is a helpful way to summarize this section as it relates to real love expressed in the context of the local church, that, that real love is committed and discerning. We see this in verse 9, that real love is others-focused. We see that in verse 10. And that real love is for real life together. We see that in verse 11. So let me just break it down like this, and and you may hear me do this a little bit throughout the rest of the sermon today, where I'm just going to kind of summarize some of what's being said there and and try to bring some kind of synthesis to it. Why? Because I want to call us to, to seek to have these things as a part of the culture and the context of this local church and Metro Life Church. Real love at Metro Life Church should be committed and discerning. So as we seek to operate in the gifts of grace, as we gather together with our masks off, not playing some role that we feel like we have to play in front of each other, 
being hypocritical about our own need while dishing out life advice to others about where they are right or wrong and how they're doing things. Real love that is committed and discerning has our conscience informed by God's love. His character, His care, knowing how to wisely make moral decisions about what brings God glory in us and through His church. So at Metro Life Church, as verse 9 tells us, we want to see love that is committed and discerning. We also want to see, as verse 10 is going to show us, a love that is other-focused. The gathered church isn't a social club. It's not a moral think tank or a community gathered to be energized by the latest way we're going to combat the world. It's not less than those things, but it's so much more. See, Paul uses familial language to describe our love for one another. Not to replace the mission field, discipleship. Not to replace uh, blood ties to our natural family. Rather, to emphasize the long game, the eternal value of what we're doing when we gather together in the church. The lifelong bond that we can experience as a part of the good in the local church. That's a dear to our hearts, close as a brother gathering together because we're committed to one another and we're others focused and it's for real life together verse 11 is going to show us what animates this gathering of the redeemed in our lifelong bond through saving faith in Jesus is not only that we're wholehearted in our approach to one another but we're actually doing this we're boiling over with God's love like hot water boils over the top of a pot we're eager to sacrificially serve each other because of how Christ laid down his life for us. So that's what love can look like in the local church. And as I said earlier, where is it the Holy Spirit might be illuminating in you or in me even today ways that he is calling us up to his glorious purpose, to live our lives for him? Next in verses 12 through 16, we're going to see love's non-negotiables. And I believe that these are things that are true to be in the church or when we are in the world. We're to do this, verse 12 tells us. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I think verse 15 I'm grateful for the materials and the resources that been, have been put together for us with Relational Wisdom 360. I believe that's Ken Sandy that put those materials together. This, realize, this helps us understand that there is a real place for empathy in the church. In order to rejoice with those who rejoice or weep with those who weep, it means something. It means that we need to know what's going on with one another and be able to put ourselves in their place. That's at the very core of empathy, isn't it? So the church should be very empathetic. Why? Because the church is a place where we combine what it is that we feel with the actions that we're called to. The church is a place where feeling and actions come together. That anything that we do has a certain trust, not an uncertain expectation. It has a certain trust because our love is going to bloom into something very practical, and that's hope. We're going to have a love that looks ahead to our glorious future together when Troubles come and troubles are going to come. 
But when troubles come, we will be steadfast. We'll be constant in the way that we respond to it. We will display the fruit of the Spirit through our lives as we seek to love in the ways that we have been loved by a holy God. Genuine love in the church will be marked by a radical form of generosity that we'll share out of the abundance that God has provided to us, that we will welcome the stranger into our homes, into our lives, to our table. Harmonious living is not synthesizing our thoughts along with those of, of, of others or in the world. It's a biblical posture toward those around us that still stands firm for the faith but does not need to be offensive on, his, on its behalf. In helping others to think or act biblically, we're never given permission to think or act unbiblically ourselves. So love, more than just southern hospitality or pouring a glass of sweet tea, throw a stick of butter at it, That's really what Southern hospitality is, right? We know that <laughs> in its most caloric form. We're going to seek to minister to the whole person. We're going to seek to minister to the whole person we're sitting with because our whole being is being renewed and transformed into something glorious. We're going to love others best by sharing that renewal and that transformation with them. And what this should do for us, what should be the fruit of that in us, it should humble us. It humbles us in receiving. It sobers us in being able to share in the testimony or practical ways with others. Have you ever had that experience? When you're sitting with somebody going through trial and you've been able to just see something through with them, and it's sobering, isn't it? It's humbling. I think our immediate reaction is to try to express through Southern hospitality, and there's a place for that. Oh, but there's a place, too, for just being humble and sober enough to sit with somebody through trial and see it through to the other end. That's love expressed, no matter the context. It's one of the non-negotiables of the world. So what does it look like, then, for our love to have a loving witness, where it's love that is expressed in the world? Well, we're going to see this in verses 17 through 21. Listen to these words. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Now we've already addressed that to a degree. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here again we realize what it looks like to live out of the abundance of the fruit of the Spirit. To live our lives out of the abundance of the fruit of the Spirit. We see the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. We hear much about the love of the Lord kind of in the context of Galatians chapter 5 as it relates to the gifts of the Spirit, whether it's here in Romans, whether it's in uh, 1 Corinthians. We also see love as a centerpiece of that. We'll look more at that after the first of next year when we go through First and Second Corinthians together. But we can live peaceably with others because of the driving peace offered to us through Jesus Christ. Remember John 16, 33, in me you can find what? Peace. 
Realistically, there's so, only so much we can do, but as far as we can, we'll seek to do it. We'll not be a people who seek to extract from others or avenge because we know there is a day of judgment coming that we have been graciously saved from through the mercy of God, and we want others to experience the goodness of that as well. That's the foundation for our thoughts and thus our actions toward others. We'll be committed to even express generosity and hospitality to those who act as an enemy because we want our witness to be true. Secured not by our works, but the finished work of another on our behalf when we were still at enmity with him. We don't need to be the ones who pile on burning coals of judgment to those who are against us. It was the kindness of God to, that led to our repentance. And in turn, our kindness as a fruit of the Spirit can lead to conviction and repentance in others as well. May we know and understand the fullness of the mercy, grace, kindness, compassion, generosity, and hospitality of God so that we can express this rightly to others. Church, don't these verses help us understand what it looks like to live out in this very practical way the good news of the gospel? It's why it can come across as very overwhelming if we just see 36 items and it feels like an everyday to-do list. And that's why I didn't want to present it quite in that way because there are some of us that our temptation is to just trade one form of legalism in sin and the world for another in the gospel. And yet love creates this very narrow path for us, doesn't it? Paul is helping us to understand, not to veer to the left or the right, and he is creating an understanding for us how very powerful and how, how very practical the good news of the gospel is. See, the gospel tells us that there's a judge, and he can be trusted to make all things right. And we stand in amazement when we consider that this judge took the punishment that we deserve And he poured it all out on Jesus Christ at the cross. And when I talk about the gospel, I am talking about the good news of of our need for a Savior, the ways that we fall short, as Romans tells us. And yet we long for the glory of God because it was created in us. We're going to see that in Genesis in the fall. This longing for the glory of God is a part of our created nature to bring Him glory or to rob it for ourselves. The ways that we need a Savior and how that is provided for us, not through the law, but through Jesus Christ alone. His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His empowering through commissioning the Holy Spirit to be a comforter and one who gives us strength and guidance in the way that we live for Him. That all the things that we do now should point back to Him. The gospel provides all of these things and helps us understand that he is the judge that can be trusted to make all things right. The gospel reminds us of how patient God is with us. The gospel informs the way that we think of ourselves with sober judgment, as it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. We saw that a few weeks ago. And the gospel enables us to sincerely and lovingly share in others' highs and lows. No, the Love of God doesn't go without saying. It's been said very explicitly through Jesus Christ. And as we just saw in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, it is empowered very specifically through the Holy Spirit. 
Think about what we've heard over the last several weeks, that God the Father, His arms extended open toward us, welcoming us. Welcoming us to do what? To receive judgment? No, to receive His mercy and this great salvation. That Jesus Christ extended His arms through the ministry of his life, but more than that, through the saving blood poured out in his death and victorious power of his resurrection. In the Holy Spirit, his arms both leading and comforting us in our times of need. Not only bringing conviction, but applying the soothing salve of the truth of the gospel to our wounded, weary souls so that we may receive love and express love toward others. In Christ, we have love expressed toward us. In Christ, this love was shown toward us before we even had opportunity to sin against him. So today is not about the imperatives listed here so that we can know, so that we can know Christ. Living up to these 30 or 36 things so that we can get to know Jesus. Today is about looking to Christ as the source for salvation and our only hope to live in a way that brings glory to him. Where is it that the Holy Spirit might be leading to conviction in you now? Revealing the ways that you fall short or have clung to one at the cost of another as it relates to his love. Where is it that the Holy Spirit wants to fill us with the fullness of the glory of God so that we can display that glory through our lives as they're transformed? Many here may have thought as we were going through Romans chapter 12 that we were going to get very specific about the subject of worldliness. And I think that worldliness is addressed in Romans chapter 12. But I think rather than focusing on worldliness, what I wanted to take some time for us to do today is to say, if it is that we're not called to live in that way, what is it that we're called to be filled with? And Romans chapter 12 gives the most explicit directions as it relates to that. And what happens in the midst of being filled with the things of God? Oh, it displaces the things of the world. The things of the world have no room in this vessel anymore. The the things of the world have no room, have no place in this living sacrifice anymore. The things of the world aren't the idols to be bowed down to anymore. So Romans chapter 12 talks about worldliness in this way. Be filled with this instead. Don't swing your fists at the air when it comes to the things of the world. Be filled as a living sacrifice, one who has been presented to him. So today, let's look to Christ together. He died for us while we were yet sinners. We look to Christ because his Father's love extends toward us, even today, to respond either in salvation or in repentance. We look to Christ because he was persecuted and turned away from. He was one who experienced a love that abandons, that just goes along with the shouts of the crowd around him, even by those who claim to be closest to him. We look to Christ today because he is the embodiment of love and he has sent us a helper to love for his glory. So church today, stand and respond together by looking to Christ alone. Would you join me in standing?